All right, hope you had a great fourth. It is great to be back right down our toll-free telephone number, 800-941-SEAN, if you want to be a part of this extravaganza. Why is Linda looking at me today as we start with the I-got-something-on-my-mind look, and it doesn't look too happy? But did I do something wrong while I was on well, vacation? Well, you were missing I for four days. I couldn't yell at you. <laughs> it was so lonely. You know, I had all no. these nice guest hosts. I had to be nice to them. It was it was very hard. It still is very hard. It's hard every time. I'm not the greatest vacation taker in the world. And as much as I just can't shut off the switch in my head and just be on vacation and be present wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, it just doesn't work that way for me. I think there are other people like that. I actually was uh, Keith Kowalski, inventor of the year. I, was, I went to dinner with him and a, a, a couple friend of his and and we we're hanging out and they they had just gotten back from a week at some beach in New Jersey that they stayed at. They rented, I guess, a house on the beach or something like that. And their whole family. And I'm like, they, they had the deepest, darkest tan I think I've ever seen in my life. And I said, well, you must have been out in the sun a lot. And they said, oh, yeah, we'd go out at the the father in this case. He had two kids, too. He goes, yeah, I'd go out at like 630 in the morning and hang out in the sun. And I wouldn't come back till like five or five thirty and I said, Well, would you be under an umbrella? And he goes, No. I'm like, Well, I could tell you that I'd be in a hospital burn unit if that was ever me, because and by you're the same way. You're Irish translucent. Oh yeah, I'm transparent. Forget about it. Not, but the thing is I, I get bad sunburns in like an hour. I hate getting sunburn. I do not like it. And I've become a big believer in sunscreen. And, you know, when I'm, I actually played golf a few days, not great at it, but I'm getting better. I took a couple of lessons. I'm never going to be good at golf. That's the bottom line. I don't have time to be good at golf. I just have to accept my place You're in the golf world. You're pretty good at golf. What's that? You're pretty good at golf. Yeah. Golf. Golf. Whatever. It's golf. The, I act, well, I'm a good athlete, so I can, I manage to get by. And when I listen to the, the instructor, I do a lot better. And just certain little things that you I have always an have instructor. To... Yeah, I take I took lessons because I haven't played it. You took golf lessons. I hadn't played but four times in a year. Yeah. When I did you it. do this? On vacation. I took just a... this 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 past week. This, yeah. Took no. golf lessons. Okay. Why is that funny to you? I don't know. It's just ridiculous. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, I had a golf pro. A really good guy by the name of Matt. He was teaching me how to play, and I took lessons. I actually, the way I take lessons, I, I can't stand to just stay on a range. I said, come on, we'll go play. Okay, so, go so play. clearly I'm, I'm the odd man out because I think this is ridiculous, but everyone in the studio says this is totally normal. Okay, well, okay. you don't think that, that baseball players have a batting coach? There's not a pitching coach? There's not a first-base coach, a third-base coach, a general I don't even know coach. how many bases are in the game, so there's I have no idea how many coaches there's there are. A coach, coaches all over the place in football. What do, I mean, what sport are you going to learn and master? It's like a highly overstaffed environment. I don't know. It, well, every sport, if you want to be good at it or decent at it, you have to you know, learn the fundamentals. I guess, but I mean, couldn't you just practice? Yeah, but what if you? What, all right, the golf grip in and of itself is a problem. Oh yeah, how do I put my hands on this giant stick? Let me see. Uh, one hand. Oh, here, good one grief! You gonna? Well, no, I guarantee you would not get it right away because it, it feels so unnatural and awkward if you hold it right. Oh my god! You know it would be great. What we should do the show one day from a golf course, and golf I'll course. go out. I've never you, golfed in my life. You never golfed in your life. Nope. 
Oh my God! I will tell I you this what... weekend though there was a half price By sale the way, could on you the plastic golf club. Linda's going to be at the at the, the country club trying to get into the country club, which is by the way a war in some of these places because people are so uptight about they become country club. Oh, I think I fit snobs. right in. No, I mean, well, I no, well, there's an impression of me that people think that I'm going to go into a golf club and start talking about Trump. The la- I'm, and and politics. The last thing you want to do. It's the last thing I'm going to do is I'm I'm quiet and I'm polite. It was like that idiot Jimmy Acosta. By the way, his book tanked. Do you know the first two? How weeks, could it tank? It never sailed. It it, it he sold under ten thousand. I think the the I know for a fact the first two weeks. Meanwhile, Levin's book sold. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands in four weeks. This guy died. And he's like, well, I made the New York Times list. I'm like, yeah, once. And it was dead on arrival. When you look at book scan numbers, he only had sold 6,000 his first week, 2,000 his second week. It was terrible. Um, anyway, you were saying. No, no, please continue. I mean, maybe that's what we should do. Maybe we, we Well, go, did we you do ever the play show. a sport at a high level? Did I ever play a sport? At a high Okay, did you? All right, did you ever play a sport? <laughs> Let's begin at the beginning, my friend. You never in school played anything? I played, Nothing? I you played never the clarinet. played sports? Played clarinet. violin, then oh. I played the clarinet, then I played okay. alto sax. All right, did you, right, I played did, you violin. Have, did you have music lessons? I did. Okay, same thing. I'm a music teacher, a music not teacher. from a music professional. Like, I didn't, you know, go All right, out well, to like Parishnikov or anything. All right, well, I had a golf pro teach me, bring me up to speed because I hadn't played in a while. And I started playing amazing, actually. I was used, because I was a hockey player, I have a natural drive. And when I. That's a sport I can get into. I love hockey. Okay, this conversation, talking sports with you is just impossible. It's exasperating. You know nothing about sports, and I just need to remember, I you will know tell absolutely you. nothing. There's not a sport out there. If you shoot archery, you get lessons. If you shoot a gun, you get lessons. Anybody, by the way, people call me, ask me all the time, well, what kind of guns do you have? I have, well, a pretty big collection. What are you looking for? Well, something to protect my house. I said, well, whatever you choose, get trained by a coach, by a professional instructor, how to use it safely. I ended up uh, a while ago going shooting. A buddy of mine, and his, he was teaching his kid how to shoot, and I said, sure, I'll tag along. And I will tell you that the instructor was amazing, you know, First thing, you got to watch a video. I am not saying that you shouldn't have instructors to learn new things. I was under the impression that you knew how to play golf. That's why I'm laughing. I didn't understand. Okay, but I, I didn't know you were new to the sport. It's not like my life's not busy. I, just, I mean, you know how crazy my life is. I, I just I don't have time. I am fully aware. I just didn't know that you didn't know how to play golf. I thought you knew. Golf. Yes. Uh, well, I did, but I needed refreshers, and I, it was the best thing I did. I got an instructor a couple of days. I'm very excited for you that you learned how to play golf. I picked up right where I left off, except I'm a better putter now than I'd ever been. How do you like? I even changed my putting grip. That's fascinating. I just want to know if you have a golf swing like Charles Barkley. No, that's the worst thing I've ever seen I in my that life. I play basketball. Yeah, that was but the he, worst yeah, thing what, I've ever that's seen. That's what retired players do: is that they play a lot of golf. Yeah, because they're competitive athletes, and it's you know, golf is fun. Golf is not like any other sport. You really have to work at that game. It's not like you can like I can pick up any other sport fairly quickly and practice on my own. You know, once you learn the fundamentals of shooting a basketball and dribbling a basketball, you're you're in. You can go play. I mean, you, there's finer aspects to the game. Passing, you know, if you want to be great like Magic Johnson and 
you know, put on Showtime and pass around your back and do all this other crazy stuff or shoot like Larry Bird, you're going to have to spend a lot of time on the basketball court or whoever else. A lot happening in the basketball world. All right, also a lot happening in the political world. Um, so I'm watching from afar all of this happen on the G20 trip, and I'm just kind of like fascinated by it. And the only thing, and I'll sum it up really quickly here, you know, when the president says, you know, I'm not going to ask anybody. I'm going to tweet out maybe when I go to South Korea and I'm at the DMZ, maybe Kim Jong-un will come and visit. We met twice and people think, this is outrageous. This is terrible. What is he doing? Well, he's not doing what Obama did with Iran, and he's not doing what Clinton did with Kim Jong-un's father, and that is he's not trying to bribe dictatorships with uh, and, and get back false promises. You know, what, what they don't understand is that Trump's foreign policy is clear. He's a non-interventionist. He doesn't want to go change the fabric of society in the Middle East. He'd rather move America towards energy independence. He's not, he, there's, there's no way America's tried that we are going to fundamentally be capable of being the world's policemen. Now, I am very frustrated, and I, I, I think the whole way that America wages future wars needs to dramatically change. The, the next level of weaponry, sophisticated arms that the U.S. gets needs to be made with such an idea that we don't have at all the capacity politically in this divided country to fight a war, to win the war in a conventional sense. And frankly, there's no need for it because of technology now. In other words, we can look back even at the Iraq war. And I don't, we didn't have the options that we now have today, and it's getting better every day. Remember the president, the biggest single increase that he made was in defense spending. We're going to build the next generation of weaponry. So we don't have to send kids ever again to Iraq or Afghanistan with the idea of them knocking door to door to find out and, and pull out terrorists. And then these kids having their legs blown off and, uh, if countries want help and assistance, it's going to be on the intelligence front and America's ability to for bombardment with devastating weapons and pinpoint accuracy like guys in Tampa pushing buttons and able to literally devastate and obliterate any part of the world that we need to if necessary, you know, which might happen to Iran sometime in the near future. We'll see. But. If but I, I we can't look at Vietnam and, you know, then pulling out after 58,000 of America's greatest treasure die and not win the war. You can't look at Iraq and Afghanistan, although we did weed out ISIS, which I mean, what we did in Syria was phenomenal, um, but we didn't do it on the ground. We did it from the air. And this new generation of weaponry, we better be way ahead of our enemies and our adversaries, is not only going to protect the continental United States, but our allies. And also will have the ability to do what we need to do aggressively abroad. Look, look, sanctions have, have sent Iran and their economy into a tizzy. 
And the president pulled out of the Iranian deal. The, the difference is they think that Trump is like them, that he's going to be the great appeaser. It's just the opposite. Trump is a America first guy. He's not going to drop $150 billion in, in, in cash and other currencies on the tarmacs of mullahs and beg them to like us. He's not going to do anything like that with Kim Jong-un. Look, whether we get an agreement or not, North Korea can't get nuclear weapons, nor can Iran. If they move towards it and it becomes a possibility, I guarantee you that the world is going to unite. It's already there is a new a new alliance that has already been forged against Iranian hegemony. And it includes the United States and Israel and all our historic allies. But it also includes the Jordanians, Egyptians, the Saudis and the Emirates. You might say, well, what about the journalist Khashoggi? I I don't think anyone's been more critical of Saudi Arabia than yours truly which is why it's so outrageous that they were able to buy Hillary Clinton's silence on the abuse of women, the the killing of gays and lesbians, and the persecution of Christians and Jews. I don't want their money, and I don't want to be dependent on their oil, and we're not. You know, the Straits or Hormuz are less strategically important than they've ever been. Why? Because Trump kept his promise on energy independence. Now it's a matter of preventing these these crazy new Green Deal people from ever moving forward with that insanity of getting us off of oil and gas, the lifeblood of every economy. We ought to be looking at that as the single greatest opportunity to increase the wealth of every American. It'll raise the standard of living of every American. It's all oil and gas. We've got enough and then some for the rest of the world for hundreds of years. We don't need theirs. We just need to be smart enough to get ours. All right, a lot to get to. Um, the census battle. Uh, oh, Joe Biden wouldn't happen on my watch. We're going to get to that. And man, he's—I I, don't—I think Biden's as close to done as anybody. And I'll explain that. Why the media doesn't get this president? When I mean, he says to Putin, "Don't meddle in our," what did they want him to do? Stand up and slap him in the face with a glove and and have a duel? I mean, or the 4th of July celebration. Why not? It was patriot. It wasn't political. They're all making these predictions that were ridiculous. All right. I got to say, when Biden claims Russia would never have interfered with the elections on our watch, I'm like, wow. Why did we set up NATO, Chris? So no one nation could abuse the power in the region in Europe. It would suck us in in a way they did in World War One and World War Two. It's being crushed. Look at what's happening with Putin. While he, while Putin is trying to undo our elections, he is undoing elections in in Europe. Look what's happened in Hungary. Look what's happened in, in Poland. Look what's happened in Moldova. Look what's happening. You think that would have happened on my watch or Barack's watch? You can't answer that, but I promise you it wouldn't have, and it didn't. It did, and it all happened on your watch. And what makes it even worse is you're that out of touch that you don't even know it and by the and it was a beatdown by kamala harris why she backed off i can't kamala harris i whoever's running that campaign of hers i can't figure out because they had so clearly because they were ready to tweet out immediately after she brought up that she had been involved in in busing when she was younger Every I was dotted. Every T was crossed. That line was practiced. That line was prepared. They had, and then she backed away 
from the statement after she delivered the devastating blow in the debate to Biden. Now the question is why? Well, she did the same thing. Remember, she was Medicare for all and you can't have private insurance. Then she backtracks Then she goes back again. All right. Glad you're with us. 25 till the top of the hour. Uh, glad you're with us. You know, it's I don't care what happened in the week I'm gone. The president is well, conservatives wouldn't have put up with Obama stepping across the DMZ. You know, there is context. There is um, there's texture. There is. Yeah, I, I, I don't trust Democrats that would be stupid enough to drop one hundred and fifty billion in cash and other currencies on the on the tarmac of Iranian mullahs that chant death to Israel, death to America. Yeah, I, I don't trust those people. I don't trust them at all, as a matter of fact. Sean, can I interrupt for one moment? Yeah. This is completely off topic and has nothing to do with what you're talking about. So, yeah. <laughs> earlier in the show, we were talking about golf. And uh, I asked the Golf. team about the Charles Barkley thing because I didn't know what you were talking about because I thought yeah, that Charles he took Barkley. H- Hank, uh, what's his name? Uh, Haney, uh, he took classes. It means nothing to me. You know that. I don't know who that is. Yeah. So, By the way, Rush did it once, but go ahead. Rush is a so good So Charles golfer. Barkley, I thought you were kidding me, you know, like oh. trying to like play a goof on me because I don't know anything about sports. Yeah. So we Googled um, Charles it's Barkley. Swing. It's awful. Oh, my God. It's the worst thing ever. It's so funny that I'm going to post it on Hannity.com because everyone needs to see this. It is yeah. un- it is unbelievable. All right. The next time I play, I'll take videos and we can compare and contrast my swing. Well, I'm going to come along. I want to come. I want to play. Uh, I don't know if you could get into any country club. What does that mean? You, you, you have this vernacular that you use. I um, will go and play in silence. I, okay. That's impossible. It's also. Not, nothing is Let's impossible. Let's talk about realistic expectations here. Okay. I'll and, just talk you know, a little bit. And to get into quietly. a country club, you actually have to, you know, put on a show and not drop F-bombs. Can I just be don't a like guest? That. Yeah, you could definitely be a guest. Yeah, so I'll just uh, be a guest. Or you could just go to a public course and hang out. You know, Beth Page is a great public course. I'll go to a public course. It's awesome. Couple I don't need course. to be private. Hey, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, whenever you and the team want to go, you let me know, and I'll We're prepare do for team the day. day. Public course. <laughs> going to be fantastic. All right, let me back to Iran. I'm sorry. I got a lot to get to. Let me get this out. So I'm watching Trump's trip. Now you're right. If it's Obama and Kim Jong Un. And Obama and Putin and Obama and China. Well, I know Obama's weak. And I know, like Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton, this deal is a good deal for the American people with Kim Jong-il, Kim Jong-un's father. And they tried to bribe him out of getting nuclear weapons. It didn't work. This president has put sanctions on the Iranians, and that's why the Iranians are acting out, because... The sanctions are devastating to their economy. That is a good play by the president. And the president is a businessman. So one of the ways, when you do business, you don't always do business with people that you like. You sometimes do business with people that you don't like. And the president's foreign policy is simple. He's a non-interventionist, but he wants a big, mean, tough military with the next generation of weaponry so that we can protect the people of the United States. That is a good foreign policy to me, especially in light of the political environment where we start wars, we send kids, they go die and bleed or national treasure, and then we say, never mind. I don't think the country has the will or desire for any long protracted uh, conflict anymore. 
And I think that the answer is the next generation of weaponry that can devastate anybody, anywhere, any place, and that that war can be fought from the conveniently in a in a air conditioned room in Tampa or whatever other command center we might set up at any place. And at that point, yeah, it's going to mean more collateral damage. But, you know, at, when somebody starts a war with us, do, would you rather the Americans die or the people in the country that started the war die? I'd rather nobody dies. I'd rather nobody starts or messes with the USA. But in war, people are going to die. I'd rather them in that case, when we're innocent victims and we're attacked, that it be them, not us. And if that makes me whatever, then I'm whatever. I don't want Americans bleeding, fighting, dying, giving up limbs for wars that'll be politicized anymore. But it's a very ugly, dangerous world. And you have a lot of evil in this world. And the Iranian regime and these countries that live under Sharia, yeah, it's it's so alien to anything we believe and and so counter to our Judeo-Christian values. So the idea that the president is going to talk to Kim Jong-un and say, hey, I'm here if you want to make that deal. Fine. End. You know, at, at Vladimir Putin, the president's not saying to Vladimir meddle in the elections, just the opposite. Don't meddle in the elections. But it's not something you're going to get out of him in front of Putin to try and embarrass him to start and escalate a conflict that is already in existence because they are a hostile regime. And that was what was so obscene and absurd about creepy, sleepy, crazy Uncle Joe's comments. You know, I, I frankly was shocked. Let's play it again. He said, it wouldn't happen on mine and Obama's watch. And it all happened on their watch. Listen. Why did we set up NATO, Chris? So no one nation could abuse the power in the region, in Europe, that would suck us in in a way they did in World War I and World War II. It's being crushed. Look at what's happening with Putin. While he, well, Putin is trying to undo our elections, he is undoing elections in, in Europe. Look what's happened in Hungary. Look what's happened in, in Poland. Look what's happened in Moldova. Look what's happening. You think that would have happened on my watch or Barack's watch? You can't answer that, but I promise you it wouldn't have. And it didn't. It did. All of it happened on his watch. Then, then Biden in the interview goes on to say what is a known failed policy. This is the policy that got us. 13 more million Americans on food stamps, 8 million more in poverty. The horror that was the eight years of Biden-Obama. Well, I'm going to increase the corporate tax rate up 8%. And I'm like, great, that's going to chase businesses the hell out of here. By the way, corporations don't pay taxes. They pass it on to we, the consumers. He's like, well, that'll raise billions of dollars. No, it won't. It'll turn corporations right around that have been enticed to come back to the United States and they'll start leaving again expeditiously, just like people are leaving New York, New Jersey, Illinois, and California. Then he says he's going to raise the top marginal tax rate. Yep, right up to 39.9% again. Well, that's going to put individuals in a position not to invest again. And, you know, right now it was lowered to 21%. We're going to double it. Okay, that means businesses aren't going to invest money. That means the jobs we created are going to start going away. That means, you know, meanwhile, President Trump, you know, all this hoopla, they don't understand him. They, he's coming at this from a business pro-America perspective, America first perspective. And if it means that he can get these people by talking to them, building a relationship that they stop building nukes, 
and create some trust and show that there's a mutually beneficial way of moving forward economically for the North Koreans or others, that would be in the world's best interest. And the same with Putin. Of course, we've got to stop Putin. Putin is a hostile actor. The one thing we actually learn from the Mueller report, no collusion, no obstruction, but they did find that Putin, at his direction, launched a massive attack on U.S. and our electoral process. And by the way, people like uh, uh, Devin Nunes were warning about it in, what, 2014, two years before it happened. You know, the president's approval ratings are soaring, but yet he's been pounded about what happened at the DMZ. What was bad about meeting people? He's not bribing them like the Clintons or Obamas. He's never going to give money to a regime like Kim Jong-il's or Un's. He's never given money to the mullahs. That's not who he is. He's going to say, okay, you want to join the world community? Here's the carrot. If not, you start trouble. Here's the stick. And the stick is going to be devastating bombardments. Okay, China, trade deficit, $500 billion. Uh, either you change your policies or we're going to impose these tariffs. He's imposing the tariffs. But now we made some headway. Now China is moving back in our direction. Okay, just like you had better trade deals with Canada and Mexico. And recently said, Mexico, you better stop the migrant caravans from Central America or I'm putting tariffs on you. And Republicans were afraid of that, too. And we had, oh, every time they say the Labor Department announced 224,000 uh, uh, jobs last month. Oh, another success. But that wasn't expected to happen either. You know, Biden, Russian w- wouldn't have interfered in our elections. Tell Vladimir I'll have more flexibility after the election. And this is on top of what was a disaster for Joe Biden. Joe Biden had the single... I don't know if he can at this point even begin the process of recovery. I really don't. Joe Biden is in deep trouble, especially as it relates to, you know, the takedown by Kamala Harris was massive. You know, we had broken the story a while back. I did monologues on it, you know, that he was working with Democratic segregationists in the 1970s. Remember, J. William Fulbright, known segregationist. Well, that was Bill Clinton's mentor, not a Republicans. That was Clinton. You know, Hillary Clinton's mentor was Robert, the former Klansman, KKK Bird. That didn't even come up in 2016. Imagine if Donald Trump's mentor was a former Klan member. You know, Biden, you know, he's going to be in nonstop damage control. And they haven't even hit the you can't work in a Dunkin' Donuts or a 7-Eleven unless you have a slight Indian accent or for the first time ever. You have this African-American that is clean and articulate. Wow, it's story. What? Who talks like this? My slave is a slave state. It's blunder after blunder, gaff after gaff, and it's not stopping. You know, the issue that, that Kamala Harris brought out was about busing and a plan to integrate public schools in the 1970s. You know, he... He made inflammatory remarks when the Clinton crime bill came out. He called, he used the pre- phrase, predators on our streets. It doesn't that matter become... whether or not they're the victims of society. The end result is they're about to knock my mother on the head with a lead pipe, shoot my sister, beat up my wife, take on my sons. So I don't want to ask what made them do this. They must be taken off the street. We should focus on them now. 
not out of a liberal instinct for love, brother, and humanity, although I think that's a good instinct, but for simple, pragmatic reasons. If we don't, they will, or a portion of them will, become the predators 15 years from now. And Madam President, we have predators and by the way, let's just move forward. But that's, there's a pattern with this guy. And, you know, making excuses for segregationists, you know, well, just a product of his time. You know, remember, this was the Democratic Party. Democrats opposed the significant numbers of them, the Civil Rights Act of 64, the Voting Rights Act of 65. And it was Republicans that helped Lyndon Johnson, you know, and look at the friendships, look at the background, look at the history. That's why, you know, if you're... We've never had record low unemployment for African-Americans, Hispanic-Americans, Asian-Americans, women in the workplace, youth unemployment. Maybe you don't like Trump's style, but he's getting results. You know, you know, look at the other positions. All right. So some of these these Democratic candidates want a 70 percent top marginal tax rate and 90 percent corporate rate. It's the end of capitalism. It will destroy it forever. Kamala Harris you know, saying she wants to abolish all private insurance and we all get Medicare for all. She faces a backlash. Then she says, no, 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 I'd offer people choices. Then she goes back to her original position. You can't make up where these Democrats are now coming from. You know, and then, of course, everyone says illegal immigrants, they're going to get free health care. How do we afford that? Then they want open borders. Kamala Harris announcing the first plank of her racial reparations plan. Hundred million dollars. She wants American taxpayers. You know, Biden, by the way, is no longer the Democratic frontrunner. Latest Quinnipiac University poll, Biden twenty two percent, Harris twenty percent. All because of that one exchange. And he and he made it worse this weekend. And I don't think he's gonna get out of it that that quickly either. You know, you look at these radical groups that are supporting the Democrats, you know, look at AOC. One of the funniest things going on right now is this feud between Pelosi and Ocasio-Cortez. And, well, Nancy Pelosi, it's only four of them. And Ocasio-Cortez, she's not taking that. She's fighting right back. You know, everybody in the media attacking the president is 4th of July, praising the military that keeps us free. If America doesn't have a military... We don't beat back fascism, communism, uh, Nazism, and imperial Japan. We don't win. Freedom doesn't win. Again, Hannity-ism, part one, Barry Farber. There's never been a country in the history of man that's accumulated more power and abused it less. Hannity abused it less and used that power for the advancement of the human condition worldwide. Of course, we're imperfect. There's no such thing as perfection in mankind. Everybody's fallen short. We understand. Now Biden is on another apology tour, you know, saying he's sorry for the pain and misconception caused by his remarks working with segregationist senators. And, you know, this is just getting ugly. Just like the deep state has created a circular firing squad, so too has these Democratic candidates. And their position, they all want free health care for illegal immigrants. Most want open borders. Most want Medicare for all. Most want massive increases in taxation and onerous government bureaucracy on businesses. It'll drive businesses out. 
It'll take away job creation and wealth creation, and they support some idiotic version of the new Green Deal, which gets rid of the lifeblood of our economy, which is oil and gas. Bad idea, and it ought not happen. This confirmation process has become a national disgrace. The Constitution gives the Senate an important role in the confirmation process. But you have replaced advice and consent with search and destroy. The consequences will extend long past my nomination. The consequences will be with us for decades. I will not be intimidated into withdrawing from this process. You've tried hard. You've given it your all. No one can question your effort. But your coordinated and well-funded effort to destroy my good name and destroy my family will not drive me out. I am innocent of this charge. I intend no ill will to Dr. Ford and her family. The other night, Ashley and my daughter Liza said their prayers. And little Liza, all of 10 years old, said to Ashley, we should pray for the woman. It's a lot of wisdom from a 10-year-old. All right, hour two, Sean Hannity Show. That from the Kavanaugh hearings. Listen to what he's saying here. You know, what is going on? A coordinated, well-funded effort to destroy my family. And this is no longer advice and consent. This is seek and destroy a circus. And then, of course, you have Robert Bork, and then you have Clarence Thomas, and... And this this is now the weapon of choice to smear, slander, besmirch, uh, destroy at whatever level necessary. And that represents pretty much the entire radical, extreme, new Democratic Socialist Party. You know, every, when I used to say every two years, every four years, Republicans are racist, sexist, misogynist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic. They want dirty air, dirty water. They want to kill children and they want to throw granny over the cliff. It sounds absurd, but it is used as a playbook. It doesn't even happen every two and four years any longer. Under, under Trump, the rules are pretty much never ending. Every second, every minute, every hour of every day. Now, there is a new book out that chronicled just how bad this is because it, it's, it's a definitive moment. Because if this is allowed to continue, this is the future. Who else is ever going to want to run for president and go through all the deep state harassment that this president has been through? Who's going to want the appointment to the Supreme Court and watch their family go through the type of garbage that Justice Kavanaugh went through? And it got us so obscene. You know, remember, there was the, you know, the piling on of stories. And there was the great Michael Avenatti representing this one woman who was claiming, well, almost every other weekend when they were in high school that the boys would spike the punch and then the, they, would, they would intoxicate these women and drug them. And then they'd line up in the hall and take their turns gang raping these women. And then she just back. Well, I, I didn't see Justice Kavanaugh ever give anybody punch. I saw him near a punch bowl once and he had a red solo cup and he was in the hall, but he wasn't online in a hall. And are you telling me that this happened every other weekend for a year and nobody told a parent, nobody told an adult, nobody told a counselor, nobody told anybody? Law enforcement and the media just runs with it all 
in the hopes of stopping somebody that they think will be a constitutionalist, an originalist on the Supreme Court. But that's where we are. Anyway, it is literally a brand new book just out. The truth behind the Kavanaugh uh, confirmation It's called Justice on Trial, the Kavanaugh confirmation and the future of the U.S. Supreme Court. Molly Hemingway and Carrie uh, Severino, both joining us, co-authors of this book. Uh, glad you're both with us. How are you? Great to be Good here to with be you. Here. Um, all right. Well, Molly, let's start with you. I mean, we see a lot of this name calling, the characterization of all conservatives. The way I say it's not every two and four years anymore. It's pretty much every hour, every minute, every day. Right. We wrote Justice on Trial because we thought that what happened last year with the Kavanaugh confirmation was the most important thing to happen in the country. And we interviewed more than 100 people, including the president and several Supreme Court justices, many senators, to get the facts out. Because this horrified people, not just because it was an attack on an individual, but because it was an attack on our entire system of justice and rule of law and due process. And it was appalling for people to see so many people just cast out um, these things that should matter and just clearly don't matter to some people on the left anymore. But, you know, Carrie, this is the this is now the tried and true tactic. And, and they've been successful. They haven't always been successful, but it works and it works I don't know what, maybe 40 percent of the time. But, you know, to bring this man to the point of of where we saw him, just raw anger, emotions, you know, it, this just went to the core of who this man is. I don't even know how you recover from something like that. Yeah. And, you know, as you said, this does work all too often. What was such an important thing in this battle was that. It didn't work. He was confirmed. And a lot of credit goes to President Trump, who stuck with his nominee. A lot of people, even even top ranking people like senators were telling him it's time to cut and run. And he said, no, I'm going to stand behind this nominee. Look, I, I worked for Justice Thomas. I've seen this. We, as you said before, this is a playbook. We've done this before. And we know the next step as well, which is the revisionist history. And I'm sure they're already getting ready to do it. They did it with Justice Thomas when he was confirmed two to one. Americans across the spectrum said, we think he's telling the truth, not Anita Hill. And now I think those numbers would be flipped because of a constant campaign of misinformation. So Molly and I wanted to make sure we got the real story out there to for so people would know what the true facts are. It'll, it'll help us prepare because we know there's always going to be a next time they're going to try it again. Uh, by, by the way, we'll get to this in a second. I'm not even sure where Justice Kavanaugh, is, you know, fits in the court in terms of his ideology yet. I haven't. It's, it's been a little bit up and down for me, his record. But let's go back to Ted Kennedy. Let's go back to Kennedy. And and of course, the, the term now borking a nominee. And this is what he was saying. Now, Robert Bork was a great intellectual mind and he had written extensively by the way, that's a mistake. Don't ever write. Don't ever say anything if you want to be a Supreme Court justice. As a matter of fact, as little as possible, you don't want to say anything publicly that can be used against you. Uh, it's not a matter of is this person fit for the role anymore of being a justice. It's a matter of does this person fit the right ideology. And if it's a left wing uh, ideology that would cite foreign law, that's OK, but not somebody that is that believes in a strict interpretation of the Constitution, our rule of law. But this is where it kind of started. Listen. Robert Bork's America is a land in which women would be forced into back alley abortions. Blacks would sit at segregated lunch counters. 
Rogue police could break down citizens' doors in midnight raids, and schoolchildren could not be taught about evolution. Writers and artists would be censured at the whim of government. Okay, none of which was going to be true. And then there was the last-minute attack on Clarence Thomas. And Clarence Thomas had to defend his honor, and he did in a moment that made history. This is a circus. It's a national disgrace. And from my standpoint, as a black American, as far as I'm concerned, it is a high-tech lynching for uppity blacks who in any way deign to think for themselves, to do for themselves, to have different ideas. And it is a message that unless you kowtow to an old order, this is what will happen to you. You will be lynched, destroyed, caricatured by a committee of the U.S. US Senate rather than hung from a tree. You're going to be lynched, destroyed, caricatured, you know, rather than being hung from a tree. Molly, I mean, really powerful words, but we don't learn from this. They just come back and the same tactics are used time and again. Well, yes and no. And I'm really glad that you you have these tapes of what Ted Kennedy did, just making up scurrilous and false and unsubstantiated claims to destroy Bork. You know, listening to what Justice Thomas had to go through to be confirmed on the court. And people did respond to this. A lot of Republican administrations responded to this by trying to pick candidates who could fly under the radar and who didn't have good records and whatnot. And that kind of backfired. We go through looking at how Republican presidents have not done a good job with their nominees in some cases and the lessons learned from it. This is one of those things. Again, Donald Trump, even in the primary, he starts to put together what he wants, what his vision is for not just potential nominees to the Supreme Court, but just judges in general. He wants people who are originalists, who do care about the Constitution. But he also starts looking for people who have a demonstrated track record of having courage under fire. And you said you don't know yet about Kavanaugh, and I think it actually is good to give people two to three years to get a good idea of what they're going to be like. But this first year, he actually was quite a bit like he had been in those previous 12 years. On, Why is on the he? Court. But I, oftentimes I see him on the other side of, for example, of uh, Neil Gorsuch. Why? Well, you know, this is one of those things. You've got a conservative majority, but they don't always vote in lockstep like you see in the in the liberal bloc. But they both have uh, they have interesting differences in their in their jurisprudence. Uh, Kavanaugh was the justice who was in the majority more than any other justice, followed by Roberts, but then followed closely by Alito as well. He tends to be good at getting people who are moderate to align themselves with more conservative positions. And he had some good rulings this year as well. Carrie might speak to that. Well, and Carrie, the only thing I would add to that is, you know, look at, for example, Clarence Thomas has gone on to be one of the great originalists on the court today. And and I think, you know, in the absence of Antonin Scalia, I think uh, a great conservative, reliable legal mind, along with Sam Alito, one, if I'm disappointed with anybody the most, it's John Roberts, who we clearly now know uh, allowed politics or the perception of the court to interfere with his health care decision. Uh, yeah. And unfortunately, this term, we saw that come back again with the census decision, which was really discouraging. It's it's. Uh, particularly unfortunate because he seems to want to be uh, motivated by the legitimacy of the court and the view of the court. But I think he unfortunately is is undermining himself because when you make a decision that is more based on the politics of the case than the legal standard, I mean, for example, in the census case, 
he, as much as said, the legal standard says the president can do this. But, you know, he, he really just kind of felt an ick factor or something about the way it was done in this case. That's not your reason for, for, for doing this. You don't try to split the baby and say, well, he can do it, but he shouldn't do it right now. That's a politician's job and not a judge's job. So I And think- when you make the court that political, you start seeing these really contentious hearings uh, instead yeah. of having people who just decide the law on the basis of the law. That's that's the recipe for trying to get those politics out is get the court out of politics right. and then we won't be treating them like politicians. All right. The book is called Justice on Trial, the Kavanaugh Confirmation, the Future of the Supreme Court. We'll come back on the other side more with Kyrie Severino, Molly Hemingway. They co-authored the book. Uh, also, I want to ask them when we come back what they think about the FISA, premeditated FISA abuse and fraud committed on the FISA court. And will John Roberts allow at some point those judges to come forward? All right, as we continue, final moments, justice on trial, the Kavanaugh confirmation and the future of the Supreme Court in bookstores everywhere tomorrow. It's on Amazon.com, Hannity.com. And we continue with Carrie Severino and Molly Hemingway. Quick question. So John Roberts... As the Supreme Court justice, chief justice, he gets to pick these FISA court judges. I think the evidence is now overwhelming and incontrovertible that FISA abuse occurred and that a fraud was a premeditated fraud was committed on the court. When do we get to hear from these justices that were lied to? Molly. Well, I do hope that people care much more. There's so little oversight of the FISA courts. You know, this is not a, this is not a situation where you have uh, people who are about to be spied on getting to defend themselves or whatnot. This is a very one-sided court situation. And we are reliant on these appointed judges to make sure they are caring themselves about the civil liberties of people. We already know in at least one case with Carter Page that his Civil liberties were violated with how our government went after him, called him a you know an agent of a foreign government. He's never been charged with anything. They were obviously wrong about that. And yet they surveilled him for more than a year, and not just with wiretapping, but with human informants and overseas intelligence operations. There needs to be proper oversight. We, yes... The judges need to care, but also the media need to care more and more people in Congress need well, to think about this. Well, the media was too busy peddling their conspiracy right, theories and their lies for two plus years. Uh, isn't it amazing the the stupid little talk show host like me, Carrie, ended up being right and they're wrong and we're going to be proven more right in the future. Absolutely. And, and you know, that's a theme that we found throughout Justice on Trial was the, the problems with many in the media who were simply not reporting the stories that were right in front of them. That was one of the reasons we wanted to make sure that we were out there getting these stories told. There were so many people who were close to, to Judge Kavanaugh at the time, for example, who were trying to talk to the media and say, here's the person we knew. And no one wanted to print it because it didn't line up with the narrative. So we, we tell a lot of those stories and we, we try to dig into some of the areas that um, unfortunately many of the journalists weren't looking into. All right. Thank you both for being with us. We really appreciate it. And uh, good luck with the book. It's on Hannity.com, Amazon.com, bookstores everywhere tomorrow. Carrie Severino, Molly Hemingway, Justice on Trial. Quick break. We'll come back. John Solomon, the latest on the deep state. We got some breaking news we'll share with you and the news that you missed uh, last week while I was away for the 4th of July. Quick break. Right back. We'll continue. Glad you're with us. The Sean Hannity Show continues. All right, 25 till the top of the hour. Glad you're with us. 800-941-SEAN is our number. A lot happened, by the way. Deep state news while we have been away Reluctant witnesses in the FISA abuse probe agree to talk to the DOJ inspector general. That is big. 
also Peter King now joining the chorus. Severe, serious abuses by the FBI and the CIA and the Russia probe are all going to come out. That's new from him. And struck page text. We're out, we've discovered, debating whether to share details with the DOJ on a key London meeting in 2016. But just breaking now, our own uh, friend of this program, executive vice president uh, for The Hill, investigative reporter John Solomon. He has, uh, well, coupled himself with the Southeastern Legal Foundation to sue the U.S. State Department to force the disclosure of records related to uh, the Bidens, Joe and Hunter, and much more. And he joins us now. Tell us about the lawsuit. Yeah, this, uh, hopefully uh, Sean will uh, bring to light whatever contacts Joe or Hunter Biden had at the State Department. So I filed a FOIA several weeks back, and the State Department has not engaged on it. And so the best way to go forward is, like we saw with the uh, State Department records we unearthed about a few months ago from um, Christopher Steele and his contacts there, let's, let's pursue litigation and try to get these documents found and uh, identified and potentially produced for the public so they can understand. So we know that in the time frame that uh, Hunter Biden was working for Burisma, a giant natural gas company in Ukraine, his father, Joe Biden, as vice president, was the point man for all Ukraine policy for Barack Obama. And uh, I have some reporting indicating that uh, there were contacts at the State Department from Hunter Biden or his acolytes or his uh, emissaries. And so we want to find out what the State Department has in terms of records at its Kiev embassy or at its headquarters in Washington. And that's what we're working on to try to, to get an answer to the American public. It would be an extraordinary story if the vice president's son or his emissary... Well, I think we need to set to the, the stage here because there yeah. are two separate investigations involving uh, uh, Joe Biden's son. One has to do right. with China separate and apart and he had never right. been part of a hedge fund group, and he flew on Air Force Two, and two weeks later, lo and behold, he's making this, what, billion-dollar-plus deal um, right. in, a, in an area of work that he's never been involved in in his life. What you're specifically right. referring to has to do with the natural gas company in Ukraine known as, known as Burisma. And, That's correct. Okay, and then we have this other tape, I believe it's related, when Joe Biden was leveraging a billion dollars in taxpayer money because— we found out, and Ukraine has been willing to provide us documents and documentation and evidence that, in fact, his son Hunter was being investigated uh, by the prosecutor there, and Joe Biden on a trip to give this taxpayer money to Ukraine uh, said, well, I'm not going to give it to you unless this man, who we now know is investigating his son, is fired. He got six hours, and in that six-hour interim, they did fire the guy. Here's Joe Biden bragging about it. I said, I'm not going to, we're not going to give you the billion dollars. They said, you have no authority. You're not the president. The president said, I said, call him. I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting the billion dollars. I said, you're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours. I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a <laughs> got fired. Uh, son of a, he got fired. So yeah. he leveraged a billion dollars in taxpayer money for a guy that did he, did he do we know that he knew at the time he was investigating his son? Well, that's the key, right? Joe Biden has said I had no idea there was an investigation going on and I think Hunter Biden has indicated he had no role or any involvement in it. 
So, but what, what do we know about the process? When, and when an American is under investigation by a foreign power, often they turn to the State Department, to the embassy in the country, or to the State Department proper. And that's why we're focusing our, our legal efforts at trying to divulge any contacts that Hunter Biden or Burisma or Burisma's uh, lawyers or lobbyists or PR consultants might have had at the State Department during this time. Because if the Bidens did know there was an investigation and there were contacts, it undercuts the story that they've carefully crafted in the public the last, uh, the last few months. And as far as the China story goes, do we know if there's any, well, if, if, jo- if Hunter Biden or Joe Biden is going to the State Department and seeking their assistance in this, this is to enrich the Biden family. Isn't that the same thing with the China deal? Well, that's really what's concerning. And remember, Hunter Biden went over to China on his dad's Air Force Two plane. So he starts the trip in an official capacity aboard the vice president's uh, plane, and then he ends up with this really lucrative deal. The concern here, of course, always is trading off your uh, relative's uh, government position. And here you've got the appearance issue without a doubt. And the real question is, beyond appearances, what sort of uh, involvement, culpability, uh, engagement did the vice president have, knowledge that the, did the vice president have about anything his son was doing on his watch? China and Ukraine were two of Joe Biden's biggest policy issues when he was under, vice, uh, under President Obama. And here you see his son cashing in on both. That, that raises a lot of concerns, and now the question is, what did Joe Biden know? When did he know it? And hopefully lawsuits like this will, will get us some more information. Specifically, you're asking in your request for records related to contacts between Blue Star Strategies and the State right. Department, including the U.S. Embassy in Kiev, between yeah. Hunter Biden and the State Department, and between, and you name, American businessman Devon Archer in the State Department, including right. the U.S. Embassy, and again, in Kiev, and you intend to analyze, interpret, etc. This should not be something that should be withheld, Correct. No, listen, the contacts with the State Department are almost always public, right? And, and so uh, why the State Department can't respond to this lawsuit or provide information. If we could get Christopher Steele's contact uh, with, with uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary Kavalak in the, in the uh, Russia case, we should be able to get this. And there's a, there's a game of keep away going on right now. Why is Blue Star Strategies important? Let me explain. I can see in the records I've obtained from Burisma Holdings' internal books, their, their accounting books, that this American firm, Blue Star Strategies, is hired in the time frame right, right before uh, Hunter Biden's name surfaces in an article about the investigation. So there's a news article suggesting Hunter Biden is entangled in this Ukrainian investigation. And just before Joe Biden issues that famous um, uh, order to the president of uh, Ukraine, if you don't fire that prosecutor, I'm pulling your billion dollars of USAID. So why, if Hunter Biden has nothing to do with this, and this is a Ukraine-only issue, why is an American firm suddenly being hired at that moment to, to uh, work for Burisma in this time frame? And, and it's got a public relations and a lobbying background. That's its uh, principal interest. So we, we found that in the records, and now we're asking uh, the public uh, or the State Department to tell us what contacts did you have with Blue Star Strategies? What contacts did you have with Hunter Biden? What contacts did you have with Devin Archer, his business partner? And hopefully from those documents, we'll be able to tell who knew what when and whether the vice president or her staff was involved in any way. 
Let me go to Biden making the claim on uh, fake news CNN that, well, Putin would never interfere in in Europe's election or our elections uh, during his tenure or Obama's presidency (laughs) when all of it happened during that time. Let's play that. Why did we set up NATO, Chris? So no one nation could abuse the power in the region, in Europe, that would suck us in in a way they did in World War I and World War II. It's being crushed. Look at what's happening with Putin. While he, while Putin is trying to undo our elections, he is undoing elections in, in Europe. Look what's happened in Hungary. Look what's happened in, in Poland. Look what's happened in Moldova. Look what's happening. You think that would have happened on my watch or Barack's watch? You can't answer that, but I promise you it wouldn't have. And it didn't. Actually, it did, John Solomon. All of it happened on his watch. Every bit of it happened on his watch. And more ironically, Devin Nunes wrote a a very prominent article, and many others were screaming from the rooftops in 2014, two years prior, that Russia and Putin, the hostile regime, the hostile actors, were going to do this, and they did nothing to stop it. Well, let's let's look at the record of the Obama-Biden administration on Russia. They started, and Hillary Clinton, because she was the Secretary of State when this started, they started with a reboot, a reset. They were going to make things all right with that guy, Vladimir Putin, because they had a better approach. And how did they reboot? Well, they, they did things like they gave billions of dollars of utility contracts to Ukraine, or to um, Russia for, uh, for uranium in the United States. This isn't uranium one. These are contracts that require a U.S. utility to buy, buy Russian uranium to fuel our electricity here in the United States. Billions of dollars of giveaways. And, of course, we know about Uranium One and the mining assets under the ground in the United States that was approved by the, uh, uh, by the United States government under Obama, specifically benefiting Putin. Again, after three or four years of giveaways, Hillary Clinton's husband, Bill Clinton, got a $500,000 donation. Okay, we'll get that, a speech fee for that. But after giving all these things, what, is, what does Russia do? They invade Ukraine and Crimea. They did it right on Barack Obama and Joe Biden's watch. And then after uh, Devin, uh, Devin uh, Nunez warns in 2014, I think Russia might meddle in our election, specifically uh, through cyber attacks. What happens in 2016? They're silent when they see evidence of Russia doing that. All of that happened on Barack Obama and Joe Biden's watch, and all of it began with a policy of appeasement. We're going to give away things to Russia, and we'll turn them into good guys. And Vladimir Putin played them and showed that he is the guy that he is. He's a manipulator. He will get what he wants out of a relationship, and then he'll turn against you. And all of that happened on Joe Biden's watch. He can't say it didn't with yeah, a straight Tell face. Vladimir I'll have more flexibility after the election. And Remember and that? My, yeah. my favorite audio of all time, though, is the cowardly shift saying, uh, well, what is the nature of the compromise? Uh, pick the naked Trump. Naked Trump. Did Vladimir <laughs> see these? Uh, but yes, the pick the naked Trump. Uh, Vladimir. But, but of course. But of course. Can, can I have them? I mean, it's on tape, the idiot. There's, you know, outright collusion. But now here's Biden. Now, it's interesting. He doesn't want to go back. Kamala Harris really whacked him. And I had discussed in the first hour today his history on race, which is not pretty. Um, and now he, he still can't answer the question about why he basically stood up for uh, against integration and for segregation. Here's his answer to that question. But it's so easy to go back and go back 30, 40, 50 years and take a context and take it completely out of context. And I mean, you know, I, I get all this information about other people's past and what they've done and not done. And, you know, I'm, I'm just not going to go there. If we keep doing that, that's, I mean, what we should be debating, what we do from here. For example, this whole thing about race and busing. 
Well, you know, I think if you take a look, our positions aren't any different, as we're finding out. Um, With Senator Harris, who yeah. said she sees it as a tool, not a must in all circumstances. Yeah, well, <laughs> look at my record. And then he's, I'm not interested in going back. All right, quick break. More with uh, John Solomon. He is the executive vice president for The Hill, investigative reporter. More on the other side. As we continue, executive vice president for The Hill and investigative reporter John Solomon is with us. Let me go to some of the other developments that have taken place, and that is yeah. uh, we now know these struck page texts that have come out uh, debating how much information they should share with the State Department about a London meeting, you know, struck writing. I think we need to consider the lines of what we disclose to the DOJ. Right. Uh, for example, the last stipulation notes, we will not, we will not disclose the, I, and then he identifies, the identities outside the FBI. I think you can argue the unauthorized disclosure might reasonably be expected to cause exceptionally grave damage to U.S. national security and Struck also reports that he had a good meeting and page warning, make sure you can lawfully protect what you sign. Thinking about FOIA requests, for example. That's right. What did you think of yeah, that? No, uh, listen, I think we're, the more we learn about the FBI's conduct, the more you can understand what Peter King said this weekend, that I think there was some serious wrongdoing going on. Peter King, someone who's read in and done a lot of these, looked at a lot of these documents, really understands what was going on in this FISA. Uh, I, there is a, a, an unusual uh, behavior here. First, in taking an investigation like the Russia collusion case out of the field, where it normally would be done, moving it to headquarters, and then manipulating it through all these different things. We can't tell the CIA this. We have, remember, political pressure from the White House, remember that text message, or we have to hurry the F up and get this FISA through before the election. None of those are things or ways that normal FBI agents in the field talk. They don't, they don't play by a political clock. They don't play by secrecy. They're not thinking about FOIA results four years down the road. They're trying to do their job to solve a crime. Yet in this case, you see Pete Stroke and Lisa Page and some of their other uh, colleagues at the senior level of the Bureau constantly worrying about a chess game that is only about politics and about uh, secrecy and keeping things quiet and hidden from the various people that have oversight. I think that should trouble us all. And I think that's why Peter King's sentiments expressed this weekend were so, uh, were so eye-opening. He's a person that tends to be very pro-law enforcement, very seldom criticizes the FBI. When he comes out and says something like that, you, we all should pay attention. All right, John Solomon, we'll have the latest with him tonight on Hannity, 9 Eastern, and other information. Now, the Horowitz report about a month delayed in large part because uh, you have reluctant witnesses in the FISA abuse probe now talking to the DOJ Inspector General Horowitz. And then, of course, Mr. Durham is going to be speaking or has spoken to, we don't know, Christopher Steele. We know what Steele's got to say because he was under oath in that interrogatory. Uh, John Solomon, great work. We'll have more tonight, 9 Eastern on Hannity. We'll continue. Stay right here for our final news roundup and information overload. All right, news roundup, information overload. You know, this, when I read stories like the one I'm about to tell you about, it drives me nuts. It really does. You know, as we have discussed and debated and we've been investigating now over two years, this abuse of power, you know, I, I've said it many times, it hurts personally when the first, I'll never forget the first time that, Joe DeGeneva used the word dirty cops because I grew up with a family in law enforcement. You know, imagine your mother 25 years as a prison guard. Well, that's what my mother did working many 16 hour shifts. 
you know, she was in law enforcement. My dad was family court probation. Uh, so many of my relatives were were cops, New York City cops, a lot of them, um, and elsewhere. And then, you know, two guys were dating. Wow, they made it to the FBI. I st- Look, even though I, I go out of my way to say the 99%, this is the premier law enforcement agency in the world, not just the country, the FBI. And the same goes with our intelligence gathering, the, the premier intelligence gathering you know, community in the entire world. We need that in this dangerous world, just like we need police to protect and serve. And there's always an assumption among some that, well, if there's one bad cop, they're all. No, that's not true. And I can tell you my personal experience with every other person I know in the FBI or in the intelligence community. And I happen to be blessed to know many of them. I can tell you that they are aghast at the likes of Comey, McCabe, Strzok, Page, etc., or Clapper, Brennan, and everybody else. And they know the tools of intelligence were turned on the American people. They know that power was abused, and they know corruption happened, and at a really dangerous level for the country, because now we're talking about a soft coup. But if you're like me and you have an instinctive like and trust for law enforcement, I mean, well, just imagine for a second a world without them, and you've got to protect yourself. Well, good luck with that. I don't think it's going to work out as well. You know, there's a reason these guys carry guns. There's a reason that these guys, you know, we look at what they do as courageous. Every time a cop pulls somebody over, they have no idea what is on the other side of that. None whatsoever. Drugs, guns, they have no clue. So it, I guess, shouldn't surprise me with Starbucks that, you know, this incident happens where, Uh, A couple of cops go into a Starbucks This in Tempe, Arizona, and they purchased, you know, drinks at Starbucks and were standing together when one of the employees at Starbucks asked them to move out of the customer's line or leave because a customer complained about feeling unsafe. And I'm like, what? Now, if I was the owner of any store and the cops came into my store, let's say I owned a donut shop. All right. We'll use a, a. caricature cliche it's not true the cops eat a lot of donuts all right they came the cops would come in every night for donuts and coffee maybe they're working the overnight shift i'd be happy they're there because i know that's the safest part of my night and a lot of burglaries do occur late at night anyway um this is on top of of course the starbucks putting in this these containers to take needles you can dispose of your needles inside starbucks bathrooms Now, you all know that I'm a fan of the Black Rifle Coffee Company, and I don't buy any other coffee. As a matter of fact, once you try Black Rifle, you're never going to go back. You're going to have a hard time understanding why you thought other brands were good. And you had a bunch of guys, you know, American heroes, American warriors that are literally fighting in Afghanistan and Iraq, and they don't like government coffee, so they start importing beans and making their own blends, and they turn it into this amazing company. Just like, for example, Nine Line Apparel, you know. So anyway, our friends at Black Rifle did something that was really cool. And Nine Line did something really cool. And, you know, in the military, the actions of our subordinates, even those who have no daily interaction with, become your responsibility. They're known, the term is known as strategic private. In this context, only one individual wearing a Starbucks uniform represents the ideals and norms of the organization. 
And this is what they did to these cops in Tempe, Arizona, the police department. And anyway, I know that our friends, there are now around the country, there are a number of Black Rifle coffee shops opening. And by the way, cops, if you see a Black Rifle coffee company shop in your store, you can go in and they get free cups of coffee, which, by the way, is a very cool thing that they do. Anyway, joining us for a quick uh, update on this, Tyler Merritt of Nine Line Apparel and Evan Hafer. He's with the Black Rifle Coffee Company, two CEOs. These are both veteran-owned, operated companies. They give back. They hire first responders. They hire American heroes. And they want to make sure that a cop never has to pay for coffee. And by the way, in my own life, you know, I recently was at a local pizza place, and the cop was buying his food, and I told the guy that I know behind the counter, no, no, I want to buy his lunch. Because just to say thank you, because that guy's risking his life for the whole community. Anyway, guys, good to have you back. How are you? Well, thanks a lot, Sean. Uh, I'm great. This is Evan, by the way. Evan, and by hey, the way, t- if you want to see sick, fun, crazy videos, just go to blackriflecoffee.com slash Sean, and you're going to love the videos that you guys put up. All right, so you guys decided to say, you know what? We want to thank cops for the jobs they do. Tell us the difference. Well, yeah, this is, this is, I, oh, go ahead, Evan. Oh, sorry. So I, I should kind of preface the fact that both Tyler and I, uh, Tyler at Nine Line Apparel down in Savannah, Georgia, he's got a Black Rifle coffee shop right there. And both he and I have been giving free coffee to police officers and law enforcement since the the day that we opened our doors. So this isn't even new for us. This is just something that we've done every day since we've opened our doors to the public. What I like to say is it's not PR, it's who we are. Uh, and it's something we've done every day that we've been in business. And you're yeah, a man, former special ops soldier, Tyler, and and you understand the importance of leading from the front. You made this decision a long time ago when you opened your doors. Well, Evan, I, this is Tyler, by the way. Evan is what you would consider that silent professional, and I'm going to brag on him a little bit. Uh, I yeah. met Evan through watching his videos and reached out and said, hey, you know what? I'd really love to partner. I love what you guys are doing. I feel like we have similar value sets. Let's link up. And I remember just shortly after working with these guys, they're like, hey, you've got friends in the 160, they're special operators, pilots. Can you get some of our coffee overseas? Absolutely. They sent pallets and pallets and pallets of coffee for our special operators deployed all around the world. Evan, do you want me to take pictures? Do you want me to get you know, articles from the guys, show what you guys are doing? You're like, nope, don't need any publicity. Just send it out there. And that's the type of person he is. When we talked about hey, what about coffee for our first responders, for our veterans, like if they're in uniform? It's free. It wasn't even a debate, a question. And that's the culture and the climate of Black Rifle. And that's what's missing in Starbucks. That strategic private represents who they are. They talk about how sorry they are. How about some actions? Why don't you offer free coffee for the next month? Because it would hurt your bottom line. That's why. Well, and the, the other point that I'd like to make is a couple years ago, they – they asked two non-paying patrons to leave their store, and when they did that, they went back a week or so later and shut down all their stores for sensitivity training. And these are just regular people that they had to come back because they were in a minority status, come back and retrain their entire workforce. Well, because of this incident, I would like to ask them, why aren't they retraining their entire workforce to understand the importance of law enforcement within their establishment? They're not. And I think that's just indicative of the cultural differences between those who have served and those who haven't served. You know, I, I just, and not only that, I mean, it's the coffee is different. Yeah, why don't you right. tell the story? Because I don't tell it as well as you do. 
You know, you guys are serving abroad, and I, I, I would assume that government coffee really sucks. And so you, <laughs> so you guys very cleverly, and I don't know how you did it because, I mean, I know you're stationed in, abroad in Afghanistan, Iraq, all you guys. And you said, you know what, I think we're just going to order some coffee beans from around the world to make our own blends. How did that all happen? Well, I was in uh, Kirkuk, Iraq, actually, and I was going to uh, what's, what's commonly known as the chow hall and drinking coffee from the chow hall, and it, it tastes like coffee that has been put through an old sponge. It's so bad <laughs> that you can't imagine how bad it is. Well, I'm a coffee head, so I came back from that deployment and went to work trying to figure out a little coffee roaster that I could buy to take with me, and I found frying pans, all these different things. And I started roasting coffee. So what they Did you say, say the coffee that went through an old sponge? Yeah, that's the way it tasted. It was so bad. So it's sort of like Starbucks, right? <laughs> yeah. And so I started roasting coffee because the, 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 what is it, the mother of invention or the mother of invention is necessity in the sense of I've got to solve a problem. I want a great tasting coffee. I started roasting it when I when I separated from service in uh, 2014. I came back, and uh, I had my service rifle next to my little one-pound coffee roaster as I was training future CIA guys to, to shoot more proficiently. And I combined those two things, which was roasting coffee and my service rifle, and that's where the name Black Rifle Coffee comes from. I stood up a company, and a couple years later, we've got coffee shops with guys like Tyler at Nine Line. That's pretty amazing, and and look at where you are today. Uh, I know the last time I saw you, I just have my own, you know, I, I'm just a Black Rifle coffee guy, and it's the culture, it's everything in between. And I will tell you that, you know, as you begin to build out these franchises, um, I know you're starting small, but how soon will it be that people can go to a Black Rifle coffee shop in their town? Well, that's that's a tough one. Uh, when I see that, you know, it's it's we're expanding as fast as we possibly can. I brought in uh, the former. He's a former Force Recon Marine, uh, uh, former president of Panda Express. His name's Tom Gavin to help me with the expansion on this. He came in at the beginning of this year, and we've identified places around the United States to start building black rifle coffee shops. And the great thing about this economy, as we all know, is we've got a low unemployment rate. We've got a high economic success, which also makes property more difficult to find. So uh, we're, we're looking as fast as we can to put coffee shops in around the United States. We've partnered with Nine Line. They're going to put how many shops down in Savannah, Tyler? Yeah, we, uh, we've got one open already. We've got another that's uh, ready to open the next 30 days. We've got one in Charleston that should be done in about two months, and then uh, we're ready to keep on rocking and rolling. Well, I mean, I, for me, it's great um, because there's a culture behind it, too. Um, why don't you just uh, – so blackriflecoffee.com slash Sean is the website, and yeah. how do we get to uh, Nine Line Apparel, by the way? It's just NineLineApparel.com, and again, if you're looking for those alternatives to, say, Nike, uh, 100% USA made, our place is the place to go. I can't believe they treat cops like this. I mean, really? I mean, why would you do that? Why would you not want the cops in your store? And just because one of your customers is a raging left-wing lunatic that prejudges police officers, well, what's that person going to do when they're in trouble? They're going to call on the what, coffee shop 
personnel to save them. It's unbelievable <laughs> to me. Yeah good, yeah, good luck with the coffee shop personnel person saving you. Right. I'm like, if I'm in a coffee shop, I want the cops there. I want to buy their coffee. If you didn't buy their coffee, uh, it's really the mindset of some people are unbelievable. Well, um, that's, that's a good thing about the Black Rifle stores, John, that there's no shortage of first responders that are coming in and out of that door because we've set that culture. Evan set that culture. If you have a firearm, bring it. Be responsible. There's nothing wrong with carrying a weapon with people who understand how to use it and implore it. Uh, and we encourage them to come to stores like Black Rifle because people do feel safe when they know that there's a first responder there. Unless you're a criminal, then you don't feel right. safe because you probably are doing something wrong. Yeah, it's, right. it's deterrence through community culture, which is we have a, a lot of police officers, first responders, and law-abiding citizens that carry firearms, and people know that. So I would say that the, the, the amount of criminals that step into a Black Rifle Coffee is significantly lower than other establishments because we're really safe, and we have a lot of protect-and-serve people within the underneath the roofs of Black Rifle. Well, it's the best coffee out there, too. Um, guys, you're awesome. We'll put it up on the website. Thank you both. 800-941-SEAN, toll-free telephone number. All right, so by, by the way, I want to announce, as we got a second here, um, Tacova's Boots are a new advertiser to the program, and I'm going to tell you something. This company is amazing. Um, I've always loved cowboy boots, wear them all the time, and Linda, you met these guys. So here's the thing. You get direct to consumer prices. You have no middlemen markups here. All right. So you're going to pay half of what you pay at any other store because you're buying direct. They have direct to consumer prices. There's no markup at all. And uh, did you get the boots that we sent you? I did. You know, I got the boots. I got the bag. The stuff is gorgeous, first of all. By the way, all. the bags, that leather smell, how great is that? Forget about it. It's like new car smell, except you get to carry it on your shoulder. I'm never, ever going back to that other pair of jean company again. The jeans are amazing. They are really, really, all their stuff is just really well made and it's well packaged. I mean, we're just super excited to have them on the show. They're just awesome. Listen, I just, I'm so happy and excited to have these guys. We're going to talk about them later, but Tacovis Boots, the best quality, raw materials, half the price, incredible marksmanship, uh, and uh, not marksmanship, um, incredible craftsmanship. 200 steps to complete one set of boots. 200. And the price is half what you'll pay. All right, by the way, it's tacovis.com slash Hannity. It's amazing. We'll put it up on Hannity.com. All right, quick break. Uh, we got to come back. Final half hour as we continue the Sean Hannity Show. All right, 25 now till the top of the hour. 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of the program. So we have interviewed many times in the past combat pilot, the guy that, held the Clinton nuclear football. Now, remember, wherever president of the United States goes, there's a guy with the football, which is all of the codes. If God forbid Armageddon happens and the president needs to launch a nuclear weapon. And if you remember back in the day, this is Buzz Patterson was very outspoken about President Clinton, wrote the book, bestseller, Dereliction of Duty, an eyewitness account of how Bill Clinton compromised America's national security um, he is now running for Congress. He said in uh, a tweet, California's broken and bankrupt Democratic leadership has failed miserably, and it might cause one to give up. But as California goes, so goes much of the nation. I'm here to fix it, and I'm running for the Congressional 7th District, and I'd love your support. I mean, he's been to, what, 69 countries, 20 years of service, and... 
an Air Force pilot. He began under Ronald Reagan and flew combat all over the globe. And uh, anyway, uh, we welcome him back to the program. All right, you really now have, have you now have you're sinking into the swamp. Why would you ever want to sink into the swamp, especially from California, which I think is gone anyway? <laughs> hey, Sean. Yeah. Well, you know what. I've been asked for years and years and years to run, and it's just time now. I mean, I live in California, and uh, there's definitely a leadership vacuum, not only in California, but in our nation, especially in Congress. And it's time for an outsider who has some insider experience and knowledge to come back and, and try to fix things. I'm, so I'm explain the California, California 7th District. It. It's, it's, look, most of the districts there are Democrat plus what? what? What is the percentage of Democrats versus Republicans in your district? Sacramento County, East Sean, it's D plus two, and uh, there's a That's lot. That's a winnable of district. Very, very winnable. Um, okay, there's a guy named Dan Lundgren who was a re- Republican here for years that, that had that district, and that, until the Democrats redistricted, and they actually elected a guy named Ami Barra, who is uh, a probably a, a decent guy. But he's a do-nothing Democrat. He's been there for eight years. He's a doctor, and that's all he does. He, he, he likes to, to uh, initiate bills to name post offices, but he won't do anything about the homelessness, the homeless vets in Sacramento and Los Angeles and, and uh, San Diego. and San, If you walk downtown, if you venture downtown in California, you say downtown L.A. or Sacramento, it is a war zone. And the, the Democratic politicians, Gavin Newsom and the like, are not doing anything about it. And, and you know who's losing in the war zone are the homeless and our homeless vets. And we are California and the nation is turning is turning. You know, they're, we're willing to uh, prioritize illegal aliens over our own vets and our own homeless who are who are actual citizens in this country. And it's got to stop. So my my campaign, my platform is going to be a strong immigration policy, a wall, a border. We are going to uh, place. Uh, prioritize our homeless and our vets above illegal aliens, and that's how we're going to start. And we're going to we're going to take this country back. We're going to take California back. And I'm the first uh, first shot across that bow, and I'm looking forward to it. Look, I, I give you a lot of credit. I mean, you now are a sanctuary state. Um, you, you're right. I mean, historically, as has gone California, so too has gone the rest of the country. You see all these Democratic presidential candidates; they want. You know, open borders. They want you know free health care for illegal immigrants, and then they basically all want to adopt this crazy green new deal. I do think there's going to be a backlash at some point. Um, you see a mass migration out of California. People moving to Texas and and other right. states that don't have. I mean, you have a thirteen and a half percent state income tax. Gavin Newsom basically has put up a sign saying, come here. We don't care if you're legal or illegal and you're going to get free health care from me and the people of California. I don't I don't see how that ends well for the people of California. And I think more and more people are going to pack up and leave. Well, that's been the case so far. But I think it's time, Sean, for adults to come back into the discussion. Adults back in the room. I mean, if you look at what's going on in our Congress right now with AOC, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, Nancy Pelosi. I mean, it, it's there is no there's no leadership there's no um, maturity there. It's just a bunch of kids playing in the sandbox. And it's time for us to introduce and, and, and put some kind of sane, rational uh, maturity back into the process of, de- of, our, of our democracy, our republic. And California is the perfect place to start. And I, you know, so I travel across the state constantly. I live in California. I, I speak across the state constantly. And you'd be surprised. I mean, most of the state is red. If you, uh, drop your, if you parachute into San Francisco or L.A., uh, or Sacramento, you're, it's going to be a blue area, uh, very, very blue. 
But if you go out into the, the, the heartland of, of California, um, staying away from the Central Coast, go to the heartland, and it's, it is predominantly red. And Sacramento is red. And Sacramento can be taken back again by Republicans if we, do, if we have the right people, the right leadership going. Well, look, I give you a lot of credit. I mean, D plus two is not an unwinnable district. Um, but I will say this, and this is why I never get overconfident about any Republican winning any national election, because the, the, whoever the Republican is, even though the president has built an incredible track record, you know, we have now unemployment wise the best number since 1969, you know, record low unemployment for all different demographic groups. And we now are energy independent. The president is is hell bent on getting that wall built and it's getting built. But, you know, he's doing the heavy lift a lot by himself. He could use some help from Republicans in the Senate and the House. Sometimes they're pretty weak. But the reality is where we are today is that, you know, we start out without New York and their electoral votes without California, without Illinois, without New Jersey. So if you're a Republican and you got want to win, you got to get Ohio, Florida, North Carolina, then you got to, you know, pick off Pennsylvania. You got to pick off Wisconsin and Michigan. And, and those are not easy states for Republicans to win. I, I would argue that Trump on paper, I don't care what the polls say. I don't think he polls well. He should win. I don't see a Democratic contender that has an agenda that's going to be palpable to the middle of America in any way. And um, but you, again, you never know because it's a heavy lift. Anytime a Republican for president is running, it's always going to be a heavy lift with you know, 55 electoral votes from California, just goodbye. Yeah, you know, well, you know, you know, Donald Trump, uh, Sean, more than, better than anybody, probably, you know, he's a fighter. And, and we need fighters. And, and I'm a fighter, too. I've been in combat. I'm not going to back down from a fight, which is why I'm going to run for office in California. And I would really appeal to people out there who want to support uh, a conservative military guy running for Congress out here to go to buzzforcongress.com, buzz for Congress. That's pretty easy to remember. And I'm running. Love your support. Love your help in any way, shape, or form. Uh, and, Sean, you know what? I've got to take a, a moment here. You gave me a break. When I was a fledgling author back in 2003, you were the first um, mainstream, you know, um, profile, high-profile news person, journalist, who gave me a break and actually carried my my exclusive for dereliction of duty and also for— By the way, it was a great book. And I, What did you hit on the New York Times list? Did you get number one? We were number two under Harry Potter, so I'll, I'll take number two. Oh, we well, that's kind of number one. They can't, yeah. Harry Potter doesn't count. <laughs> exactly. That's the way I looked at it. So you figure with, we, were number two, we were number two for a long time, six months. That book is still selling well, Sean, thanks to you. And again, you gave me a break. Uh, you're, you're my bud, and I really appreciate uh, all the time. Listen, the I support what you're doing. I really do. I think it takes great courage to run, anybody to run. But listen, it takes great courage for anybody to be in the public eye. You know, when I talk to my kids about what they want to do as they're getting older now, you know, the last thing I ever mention is anything in the public eye. And and then it, while it's been really good for me in my life um, and I've had opportunities that I never dreamed I'd have and I've been blessed beyond what I ever deserve. Um, I also know that there's a downside of getting the crap kicked out of you every day. And thank God my kids don't pay any attention to it. You did, I mean, that's the, the greatest blessing in the world. That's, and that's the secret, and it's tough. And, and I know, I mean, I'm, I'm not cut quite the limelight that you do, but I, I had to make sure my wife and my kids were, in, were on board with this. They have not been in the past, by the way. So this is, this is a revelation in, their, in, in our family. So the fact that they want me to go out and do this and they support that is, again, it's, it's unique. But there is, you're right, Sean, it, uh, you, are, 
you have to expect you're going to get to the crap kicked out of you daily, and a lot of it being the 90% probably being unfactual, incorrect, and something you've got to respond to anyway, unfortunately. That's just, that's just our culture. And I think it's time for a culture change in this country. I think it's time, actually, for us to get back to conservative values, uh, start putting adults back in the discussion, and let's not go crazy with uh, this, this lurch to the left. And I think that 2020... Listen, I, I'm actually, you know, there's, I'm a pretty optimistic person. This is do or die time. If they ever were, if they ever got power back now, and they were able to cement in these changes to the healthcare system and these changes in terms of environmental extremism, we're done. Capitalism and their their high rates attack, we are done. It will all end. The republic will will no longer exist as it once did, and it will change the course of history, and it'll create. A society of great wealth and prosperity and opportunity into a dependency society at an unsustainable level. And the amount of pain it would take to ever get back is go- I, I, do- I shudder to think what it would take to win it back. I don't even I'm know if right, it's doable at that point. I'm right there with you. And I think, I should, think Sean, you know, when, when Hillary Clinton lost in 2016 to Donald Trump, I think if we had, if this country had elected Hillary Clinton, and we had eight years of her. We would not have recovered from eight years of Obama and eight years of Clinton. But thank God we elected Donald Trump. And thank God we got to keep we got to we got to reelect him in 2020. I think you're right. I think this is the most critical election of our adult lifetimes, and that's why I want to be a part of it. I want to help in any way, shape, or form. I want to help uh, President Trump. I want to turn California back around again, back to a Reagan California, a golden a golden state, and not a, a state where people are fleeing. Left and right to Nevada and Texas and uh, in Colorado. All right, Buzz Patterson, dereliction of duty. Good luck, California Seventh. We'll stay in touch with you throughout the campaign. Good luck to you, and uh, we we give you the warmest endorsement we possibly can because you're an amazing uh, human being. Thank you for all your service here to four. God bless you, Sean. Thank you for all your service. Thank you, sir. God bless you. All right, eight hundred nine four one Sean. Well, all right, you've been like looking at me all day with the I have something to say to you. You've been just got back from vacation. Look, and you want to unload something. What what is it that's in that head of yours that you've been you haven't said it. It's a nonverbal communication. What uh what would you like to say? I think there are a lot of things I would like to say, Sean. I mean, you know, Sean? four days without irritating you or being I able know. to make fun of you on the air. Or... Well, that's not true. I actually talked to you last night. Yeah, I know, but it's just not the same. I need the audience to really get my digs in. You know, it's not as fun when it's just oh, it's you and me on the Oh, it's not as fun making phone. your digs alone. Nah, you know, I need an audience. I need somebody I need an audience. cheering me on. I know that the audience is out there going, yeah, Linda, get them. Get them, Linda. You know, it's Well, what makes you think? People ask me, is she really that mean to you? That's what they ask. And you said, hell yeah. I said, worse than that. I said, Much you know, worse. God, by the way, God forbid there's construction or noise in the background oh, or, or, god. God, or god forbid it rains one day you have to do story? an additional show one day are you why, ready why, for the why truth? not blow a fifty thousand dollar oh vacation? that's right just talk over me like alan combs like god rest his soul you're god just rest not gonna his let soul. me get a word in well let me say you got to admit though this entire presidential campaign has taken a dramatic turn i i, I literally watched in fascination last week as you know are you going to tell putin not to meddle in our elections. Don't meddle in our elections. I'm dying. Because what did they want him to do? Did they want him to start a fist fight right there at the G20? You know, you know, one thing that Donald Trump's not going to do is sell out the country. You know, just like if he's, he decides, oh, I'm going to I'm going to tweet out to Kim Jong Un. Maybe he can meet me at the DMZ or I'm going to honor our military and honor the country on the 4th of July and honestly think that they're so dumb 
that their hatred and rage has blinded them. They're incapable of seeing anything through a different lens anymore. It's darkened. It's 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 blinders. But, you know, the- it's worse than that. It's willful blindness. It's basically yeah, like, you know, they, you, they you, don't, you don't want to hear it. You don't want you don't want what's best for the country. You want what's best for your agenda. And I think the country has spoken. All we need to do is look at the ratings. You know, CNN, MSNBC, liberal talk ah, show you're, hosts. You're bragging on our big rating story that came out the week I was on vacation. I would never do that. Yes, you are. I know exactly what you're doing. You know, I don't feel that way um, about good ratings in the sense that I don't feel a sense of pride. I feel a sense of thankfulness and I feel a a humble, you know, I got a lot of work to do and I've got to earn this every day. And but I am very appreciative. I mean, we came in by far number one. Unlike your liberal counterparts who feel entitled. That's the difference. You're listening to your audience. You're giving them the news that they want. They rush to judgment. They don't care about truth anymore. And that's why the media is, you know, you look at the favorability of the media. It's never been this bad, this low. And they have earned every bit of contempt people have for them. They don't respect their audiences. They, they don't care about how Americans are doing so well under Trump's policies. That's the furthest thing from their mind. So what do we say? I mean, is it just about them? Yeah, of course it's just about them. And that's the biggest problem. And that's why they're losing on every single front. And that's why Trump will win in 2020. I, I, I don't We've already got our first dropout. Either. We got our first, you know, oh, yeah, of course. beauty school dropout. All right, that's going to wrap things up for today. All right. The media, the left will never get Trump. The meltdown of Biden and company. We have deep state news we'll get to. Jim Jordan, Mark Meadows, Trey Gowdy, John Solomon. Lawrence Jones, Pam Bondi, Larry Elder, and Jesse Waters. 9 Eastern tonight. We're back. Hannity, Fox News. Glad to be back. We'll see you tonight at 9. See you back here tomorrow.